Many times we need to keep our health in check, but don't know what questions to ask or where to begin. We walk in blindly to our health care provider and walk out none the wiser and maybe even more confused than before. Can you take charge of your health and arm yourself with the questions and preparedness you need? The answer is yes. Welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. This program will answer your questions and give you the best practices for facing your medical partner in good health. Now, here's Dr. Susan Downs. Hi, this is Dr. Susan. Welcome to Occupy Health. Here we give information so we can uh, go along the path toward optimal wellness. We can take steps to be healthy. And we want to get information about health and what we can do to maintain our health. Um, I also like to give opinions from various different sources, even though, you know, you may not agree with them. It's important to hear what they have to say. So today I have somebody who's been really active in uh, studying uh, what's going on with the uh, uh, current virus and treatment, etc. So I have Alex Mayer, or I pardon me, Alex Meyer, and she serves as a board member for the Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s organization, Children Health Defense. She co-founded the California chapter of the Children's Health Defense. In the 1990s, at the age of 29, she ran a worldwide research group at Apple until she became physically disabled, which she attributes to the six vaccines she received, and she resulted in brain damage. While navigating her decades-long recovery, she became an award-winning medical journalist. She worked as a health strategist, and in 2018, she retired from the health consulting to devote her time to the vaccine movement. She grew up in the Oscar Mayer family, uh, and she's a graduate of Duke University with a bachelor's and the Kellogg Graduate School of Management at Northwestern University with her MBA. So please join me in welcoming her, and let's hear what she's, what information she can give us. Welcome, Alex. Thank you so much, Susan. It's such an honor and pleasure to be on your show. Oh, you're too nice as always. Uh, tell me what got you interested. Tell me about your path and how you ended up um, in this... Um, this uh, area? Yeah, um, it's a little bit of a convoluted path, but everything kind of led me to where I am now. And where I am now, just so the listeners know um, where we're going with the story, is that I volunteer about 60 hours a week to help Children's Health Defense um, protect our medical choices. And so we believe in medical choice, no matter what product you're talking about, and especially for COVID vaccines. Um, so I serve on the National Board of Children's Health Defense, and I'm a co-founder of the California Chapter of Children's Health Defense. And the reason I do this work, as you asked, is because I was catastrophically injured by vaccines in the 1990s when I was running a worldwide group for Apple. And after I got those six vaccines, which I got to go on a vacation, my legs turned into noodles while I was on that trip about two weeks later, and I got a permanent headache. I came back and kept trying to go to work. My family is German, so you just don't give up no matter what. And I was physically disabled at that point. I was sleeping 16 hours a day, so I really didn't have very many hours to work. Um, after you sleep 16 hours, that leaves eight for everything else, <laughs> because everybody can do math. Um, and I, I just kept going in. But then six months into that, of you know fewer and fewer work hours and less and less productivity, 
I ended up with brain damage. And one morning I was reading the Wall Street Journal, which is the favorite publication if you're an MBA. And I literally didn't understand what I was reading. By the time I got to the end of a sentence, I couldn't remember the beginning of it. So that's when I finally had to go to my doctor and agree with her that it was indeed time for me to take a medical leave of absence. And then it's been a very long road to the recovery I have now. Tell me about your road to recovery. So my road to recovery started with, you know, being in the traditional medical system. I lived near Stanford because I was working for Apple at the time. And so I went to Stanford and, you know, tr met with every specialist there to see, you know, what my diagnosis was. And nobody had one. The closest they could come was saying that I had lupus and that didn't really fit with what was going on. So I never totally accepted that. Um, and it turned out none of the drugs they wanted to give me were making any difference. So um, I was really left to my own devices. And so I just kept researching on my own. And I was a researcher at Apple. So it wasn't that hard for me to turn my lens from corporate research to health and medicine research. Um, and finally, um, through a lot of reading, I discovered that the gluten-free diet was helping a lot of people who had some similar symptoms. And so I went gluten-free and to my great surprise, after three years of being housebound um, in my early 30s, the gluten-free diet actually made about half my life-limiting symptoms go away. And within a few months, I was able to go back to work part-time in high tech, but then that wasn't the total solution for me. So I was not totally recovered and working half-time as a consultant was making me sicker and sicker. So I again had to stop working and um, really just focus on taking care of myself. Um, and then later on, I was able to, I tried a whole bunch of other stuff. I, I sought out more natural medicine because pharmaceuticals were only making me worse. And it was a shift of thinking that I was, um, you know, I was sick because of some infection to realizing that health really comes from your terrain and keeping your immune system healthy and keeping yourself detoxified. And that was the turning point for me that helped me get all the way to probably 80 or 90% recovery. But that took about 20 years and it took about $50,000 per year out of pocket. It's not cheap to be vaccine injured. Well, yeah, well, we can't emphasize enough in this program of how important it is our health and our gut terrain and uh, using a whole um, organic foods and taking good care of ourselves because there's only so many toxic insults we can endure. So you got on the path of healing that this show promotes. But how do you know this was connected to vaccine? Was it a temporal uh, connection? Yeah, that's a great question. There are no tests to prove vaccine injury. And I think that the system, quote unquote, likes it that way. And so really, yeah, it's just a temporal relationship. And if you looked back at my history, you can see that I got six vaccines in May of 1996. And then a couple of weeks later, when I was on the vacation, I got those vaccines for, that's when I collapsed and got the permanent headache that I still suffer from most of the time today. Um, but it is a lot better than it used to be. So yeah, it's just a temporal relationship. Okay, so there's no proof, but there seems to be a lot of temporal relationships going on. So. Right. What comments do you have? I mean, I keep reading different things. And what's going on with the current uh, vaccines? Uh, are there any adverse uh, reactions that you know of? 
Well, that's a great question. I do study that very closely. And for the COVID shots, I don't call them vaccines because a vaccine is really designed to totally prevent an illness, to give you immunity against it, and to also prevent transmission from person to person. And the COVID shots do not do any of those things. In fact, they don't even prevent the illness, as most of us know. They don't prevent hospitalizations and they don't prevent deaths. Um, in fact, I wanted to say in England, it just the data just came out that nine out of 10 people who are dying from COVID are fully vaccinated. And that's not supposed to be the case if these are actually vaccines and they're supposed to work the, say, the way they say they are. Now, in terms of our injury tracking system in the United States, we've had about 1.1 million adverse events reports after COVID shots. And we know from some studies, um, one in particular at Harvard, funded by the CDC that fewer than 1% of reactions are reported. So that you know 1.1 million adverse events would probably turn into 100 million adverse events, which is about a third of the United States population, which is crazy. We have made a third of the United States population have severe symptoms after their COVID shots to prevent a flu. It just, it doesn't make any sense at all. But now when you also look at deaths that are recorded in that system, it's called VAERS, the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System. We have far more than 20,000 deaths now. And the underreporting factor for deaths is probably around 40. And we know that because that's been corroborated by about eight or nine different studies um, that you can read about on a substack that is written by a guy named Steve Kirsch. And so with an underreporting factor of 40, um, and about more than 20,000 injuries, we're looking at probably a million deaths after COVID shots. So these are not benign and they don't do what they're supposed to do. So the cost benefit equation just does not work for the COVID shots at all. Well, I mean, we don't know about the million. Uh, we don't, you know, we can't prove the 40 times, but tell us what you what you are finding. And if we're finding stuff, why why don't we know about it? Why isn't the public hearing about it? Yeah, well, we're finding from Pfizer's own studies in their phase three um, early release of their study, you know, they had about 40,000 people in their clinical trial. And so 20,000 of those initially got the COVID shots and 20,000 didn't. And among those 20,000, they reported when, <laughs> when they were ordered to release their data, they reported that there were 1,299 deaths in that group of 20,000 who got the COVID shots. So this isn't just our injury tracking system with you know, either self-reported events or events reported by doctors, this is actually straight from Pfizer. So um, we're, we're finding out more and more every day. And in fact, um, on the efficacy side of things, we just found out today that for ages five to 11 year olds, that the, the COVID shot is only about 20 something percent effective. So there's really, there's no case to give anybody a COVID shot. If they want one, they can sure get one. And we totally believe in choice, but nobody should be mandated to have a COVID shot. Now, for children, I understand their risk of surviving, I mean, of surviving COVID is 99.99, as well as for people under age 18 and for people under 30, it's, not, it's pretty high as well. Um, I don't understand why they're being mandated to take a shot when their survival is so good. Yeah, that's a big question because not only is there no cost-benefit equation at all that works out for younger people, the shots don't prevent transmission. So there's no case to vaccinate younger people to save anybody else. And, you know, as a society, why would we ever put our kids in danger to save adults anyway? It, it just doesn't make any sense at all. 
But the reason we're injecting kids, um, there are a few reasons actually. Um, number one is that these shots, if and when they do get full approval and they don't have full approval right now, and I can go into why that is in a little bit if you'd like, yes. but they don't have full approval. If they did have full approval and if they truly lost their emergency use authorization status, they would be on the market and the manufacturer would have full liability for any injuries or deaths caused by their shots. However, um, because they have this weird status, they're still protected from liability, but they know they're gonna lose that emergency use authorization status. So the reason they're injecting children is that when they fully lose emergency use authorization status, if they do get fully approved, if the CDC puts the shot on the recommended children's schedule, even if it's just for one age group, let's say like 16 and 17 year olds, then the manufacturer gets liability protection for anybody whose arm they injected into. So I mean, it's, it's probably really hard to understand this concept, but when it is recommended, again, I'm gonna summarize, when it's recommended for ages 16 and 17 by the CDC and it gets on the children's schedule of vaccines, then the manufacturer has full liability protection. They can inject the shot into a baby, a pregnant person or an old person. And if that person is injured or dies, the manufacturer does not have any liability. So that's one reason why they're going after our children with these shots, because that's the, that's the golden goose. That's what they want. They want the full liability protection by using our children as pawns. Now, the other reason they're injecting our children is because there are very perverse incentives right now because of the CARES Act. And there are billions of dollars going into our elementary and secondary schools. They're called um, ESSER funds, elementary and secondary school emergency relief funds. And they're literally bribing our schools to inject children with these shots, um, host COVID vaccination clinics, make them socially distance, make the children mask and force children to be tested. And that's all a bribe because of these CARES Act funds called ESSER funds. And at the college level, it's the same level of bribery, um, but it's a different pool of funds called higher education uh, relief funds. It's called HERF or H-E-E-R-F funds. And so your college, if you're ch you have a child who's in college or a young adult, I should say, your college is also being bribed by this pool of CARES Act funds called HERF funds. So there are a lot of reasons why we're injecting children right now, and none of them are good reasons. Are you telling me that school districts will not get their funding or maybe colleges won't get their funding unless they mandate uh, these treatments to the students? That's correct. Yeah. And LAUSD school district is one of the biggest school districts in the country. They've received billions with a B in CARES Act funds. And those are the, their ESSER funds. A college here in the Bay Area called Santa Clara University we have internal records and um, from emails they've sent to people in their community, they've received $12 million in HERF funds to mandate shots and um, booster shots on their students also. So I mean, nobody is playing above board. Everyone is bribed behind the scenes. And if they don't comply with the demands of these CARES Act funds, they have to give them all back. And what's interesting is people have started to um, FOIA, Freedom of Information Act request schools to see how they're spending these funds because these are public funds. So the schools have to provide a ledger of how they've been spent. And at one school in Illinois, they reportedly had spent their CARES Act funds on bleachers and teacher raises, not on what they were supposed to be spending the funds on. So they're just, they're just very greedy for this money and they're not necessarily spending it in the right way.
How did this happen? Did Congress vote for this? Yep, Congress voted for it. How could Congress vote for this? I mean, I don't understand. Please educate me. <laughs> uh, I wish I could enlighten you anymore, but it's it's this whole it's this whole game to get the shots into children's arms so that eventually it can be recommended on the children's schedule and then the manufacturer will have the liability protection. It's a guaranteed market with no liability. Is this all about profits, making money? That's the only thing that we could prove. There's probably a whole lot of other motivations that uh, remain unproven at this point. But, you know, that's... You know, it's a man. The children's vaccine schedule. It's a mandatory market. There are 16 different vaccines right now on the children's schedule, and they're given in a total of 72 doses before a child turns 18. And it, it, it's just the biggest gravy train in history. I mean, these are mandated products that most uh, children need before they go to school if they don't know how to get exemptions. And there's no liability for the manufacturers. And you could end up like me. <laughs> you could end up like me paying out of pocket $50,000 a year for your own care if you can afford it. And luckily I could afford it, but most people can't. I don't know what they do. Huh. But, you know, but, but I'm one, kind of wondering, I mean, it seems like COVID is kind of dying down. I mean, Omicron was the best uh, thing that could have happened because my understanding as a physician that the longer a virus is out, it becomes more benign and more contagious. And I don't know what happened to auto, um, I don't know what happened to natural immunity. I mean, once you get COVID, those antibodies are supposed to be pretty good. So I don't understand why the science here changed, but I don't understand if COVID's going away, why are all the countries passing these vaccine passports? I also understand that WHO Oh, at this moment is trying to pass something that they're going to be in control of the health decisions and all the countries have to march and step. I mean, what's going on here? Yeah, that's right, Susan. So it's less provable, but there are a lot of experts out there talking about this. And uh, either COVID was used advantageously or it was purposely put out there just for the purpose of getting people to want vaccine passports. That's what all the division in our population has been for, to um, divide the vaccinated from the unvaccinated, to make the vaccinated people want these vaccine passports. And you're right, these vaccine passports, they're not just for vaccines. That's going to have far more than your vaccine record on it. That is going to have, that's going to be your digital ID. And everything you do, if they get their way, is going to be on that ID. And so if you everybody remembers, there's that big push to get the real ID. And that was established by the Real ID Act in I believe 2004. So this has been in <laughs> this has been um, in planning for a long time. So your vaccination record will probably go on your real ID. And other things that have to do with your social credit score will also go on your real ID. And you're not going to be able to access certain things unless you goose step to what your government wants. Some people actually say that we're going to be government slaves on these digital IDs. And I'd say the biggest irony of all the people who wanted to get COVID shots to travel or to be social or to go to dinner or whatever it was, is they got these shots to get their own freedom, but they're actually enslaving everybody by doing that. Oh, you mentioned a lot of things in there. You mentioned social credit scores, and that kind of makes me think like China. I mean, I saw the uh, the prime minister of Canada cut off people's funds. So 
if we have a social credit score and we're not good little girls and boys, they could control us and cut off our funds. I also heard that the Canadian prime minister wants to take insurance away from the truckers. Uh, and you also mentioned goose steps in there. So um, this has a creepy feeling to it. It's very creepy. Yeah. And we're seeing that the government can actually control your bank account and take away your funding because of what's going on in Canada. I mean, Trudeau is doing it right now. If anybody thinks that's not coming to the rest of the population, um, they've got a lot more research to do, if you ask me. Wasn't Trudeau, Merkel, Macron, the woman in New Zealand, Telsey Gabbard, et cetera, a lot of, and I understand like half the people yeah, running the uh, the counties or consuls in England and half and half of the and Soros brags that half of the Canadian Parliament are trained by Klaus Schwab and that they you know might have an agenda that we might not like. Yeah, I've I've read a little bit about that and I keep hearing all those rumors that they're all part of the World Economic Forum that meets in Davos and they're part of these like young, what's it called, the Young Leaders Club. That they, they all went to school for this. And Bill Gates and Angela Merkel were uh, two of the original people who went through the program. Putin went there as well, I hear. And, yeah, Putin too. That's what I heard. Upstanding citizen. That's a joke, by the way. Um, wow. So what do you think this is all about? Well, um, I think I personally, and I'm just speaking for myself, not on behalf of Children's Health Defense, I I personally think they, they do want to crash our economy. I mean, that's pretty obvious when, you know, they didn't they didn't even think about the economic side of the equation when they locked us all down for two years and they put all these small businesses out of business. Um, and I, I do think that the rumors of the Great Reset are probably true. And my personal opinion is I wonder about the timing of Omicron followed by the timing of the invasion of Ukraine by Russia and I feel like because if this is a setup and we're losing and they're losing, um, that Omicron was a way for them to back out of this whole thing. And then I think that with the Pfizer stock and Moderna stocks crashing like they are right now, I wonder if the timing of the invasion of Ukraine is designed to cover that up because um, those pharma stocks crashing could bring down the whole stock market. And but if we have a war, it might look like the war brought the stock market down. Well, I understand Pfizer has to dump its data today. Um, uh, they wanted to delay this for 92 years to give any data. But I understand that they're forced to dump this today. So we'll see what happens there. But I, I just don't understand the concept of mandating these things. I mean, uh, what, what, what adverse effects are they having, the, the, the medical treatment? Oh, there's some really bad adverse events. Um, obviously, death is, is one of those adverse events, but uh, we see a lot of blood clots. We see a lot of heart inflammation issues like myocarditis and pericarditis. Um, we see a ton of neurological issues. I've met so many people or heard of um, a friend of a friend with neurological issues. I, I know people who've gone deaf. I've known people who've gone blind. I know people who have um, ocular inflammation in one eye and are about to go blind after they got these shots. And it is, it is really crazy what we are hearing. There are a lot of people with movement disorders. I was in a restaurant a few months ago and a woman was there, you know, with a walker, but she was only in her 
um, early 60s, I'd say, and she fell down. And she said, oh, I didn't used to be like this. This happened after my COVID shot. I mean, I see it, you just see it all around you. And, and we also see a huge increase in cancers. I mean, the Department of Defense um, shows data showing there's a, a 10x increase in neurological disorders. And I think it was a 300x increase or 300% increase in cancers after people got the shots. And these things are not benign. And I think the side effects are only going to keep going. Yeah, I uh, heard a lecture where somebody said one of the things they're finding from the vaccine is it affects certain genes. And uh, one of them affects a P53 gene and other, I mean, another affects a, a CD8 cells and that a lot of the protective genes seem to be weaker. And also hearing about myocarditis in athletes has been at least 20 or 30 cases that pass, that I saw that young, healthy athletes just drop. Yeah, there have actually been more than 400 athletes who've collapsed on the field. Not all of them have died, but more than 400 have collapsed on the field, and mostly soccer players because that's a high cardio-intensive sport, we believe, and that kind of exacerbates the problem with the vaccine causing the heart inflammation. Wow. What about airline pilots? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> there have been a few who died in flight. I don't, and I, I wait far more than normal in any other year. Why are we not hearing about this? Well, the media, the media is owned, um, unfortunately, by pharma. 70% of advertising in non-election years is paid for by pharma, so the media can't bite the hand that feeds them. They're not going to report it, otherwise they're going to lose their big advertisers. I'd like to comment about a film I made, Something Ain't Right, and what I found is that doctor, there were some doctors, you know, doctors, they experiment, they try to treat people in their communities and do the best they can. And I understand some people like Dr. Brownstein, Dr. Zelensky, Dr. was it Sherman, that they've treated, you know, 10, you know, it's a couple of those treated at least 10,000 patients and they were fairly successful. Dr. McCullough has been doing this and these people are all censored. Last April, something came to, you know, U.S. physicians that, oh, if you prescribe hydroxyquinine and ivermectin, uh, we'll go after your license. And something similar came out in Canada and Australia at the same time. At the same time, in Indonesia and Africa, uh, they were blocked from treating these. And it's just kind of strange. Then something came out that uh, from the U.S. medical boards, if you even talk about it, your license is at risk. So I don't understand this. Well, this is a, a specialty topic of mine, as you know, and um, there is a reason why they had to quash early treatments. And it has to do with getting emergency use authorization for the vaccines, for the masking, and actually for the testing. All those three things are still under emergency use authorization. And the reason there cannot be any early treatments is that there are four standards that a vaccine has to meet to get emergency use authorization. And one of those standards is that there can be no adequate available and approved alternatives on the market, and that includes drugs. So if there were early treatment, then all the EUA vaccines or shots, as I like to call them, would have to come off the market by law. So are you telling me that they never would have gotten the emergency use authorization if they allowed the doctors to treat as they were doing? That's correct. And That's they, would, correct. they have had the lockdowns, because what do the lockdowns do? They destroy the economy. They make us dependent on the government. 
which means uh, government has more control. That's right. Exactly. So, yeah, if there's any, so, and people ask me why remdesivir is available. And if that's available, then why um, doesn't that count as a drug that would count against the emergency use authorization vaccines? And I, I answer and I say, well, it's only available in the hospital. So it's not broadly available to anyone. You have to be hospitalized to access it. And of course, you know, they do that on purpose. It's like, the De Beers company limiting the supply of diamonds artificially to keep the price of diamonds up. Um, they can limit the availability of certain drugs so that it doesn't quite meet the definition of totally available. And that way that that's, that's the way they keep their EUA products on the market. Wow. So we might, and also uh, uh, Paul Alexander and Dr. McCullough and various people they've been on this program have said that we could have saved 80% of the lives in the U.S. in 2020 if the doctors were allowed to treat. We could have saved a half million dollar, a half million deaths, according to Paul Alexander, and um, we wouldn't have had any justification for the lockdowns. This sounds horrible. Yeah, the whole thing could have been avoided if we'd had early treatment, but then they wouldn't have had their precious vaccines in this big revenue stream. But I don't, I mean, I don't understand how they can mandate this. Well, they can't. And that's another specialty of mine. It is actually still 100% illegal to mandate the shots, to mandate the tests, or to mandate masking. Um, they are all under emergency use authorization. And you, people might have heard that this um, version of the Pfizer vaccine called Comirnaty was fully approved, or that Spikevax, which is similar to the Moderna shot, is fully approved, but that's actually not true. They actually had to invent a new category of quasi-approval to say that those were approved. Um, and it was it's a real end run around emergency use authorization law. Um, so Comirnaty is, it has a biologic license agreement approval, but in that document, if you go down to the pediatric section, you can see that um, it literally says, quote, this product is ready for approval in individuals ages 16 and older, unquote. And that's the exact same thing it says in the biologic license approval of the spike vac vaccine as well. So uh, it's, it's approved for manufacturing, <laughs> but it's not approved to be injected into anybody's arm officially. It's still under emergency use authorization also. It's a dual status, which has never, never been used before. It's a chimera that they made up to make it look like these products were approved. But then the problem also is um, for them that these products are not actually on the market. They're not available. You can't get Comirnaty anywhere. You can't get Spikevax anywhere. So you have to get an EUA product because those are the only ones on the market. So on the market, we still only have the Pfizer, the Moderna, the J&J, &J, they're all under EUA, and you have the right to accept or refuse the product under emergency use authorization law. So you're saying what they're forcing everybody to take has not been approved by the FDA? Nope. It says so right in their biologic license approval application. You can look it up. Now, isn't, doesn't the Nuremberg Code, which 70 years ago they wanted to make sure that the atrocities that happened in the past never happened again, and doesn't that necessitate informed consent? So are we getting informed consent on these unauthorized products that we're forced to take? 
That's a great question. So an emergency use authorization product is considered to be investigational, which is a synonym for experimental. And the word experimental ties this all into the Nuremberg Code. And so you're absolutely right. Um, nobody is getting informed consent. Nobody knows that they're truly getting an emergency use authorization product. But you can go online right now. You can look up Comirnaty, and the landing page for that says that this is an emergency use authorization product, and you have the right to accept or refuse it. And that's the case under emergency use authorization law. It's the case under the Nuremberg Code as well. But people aren't giving that choice. They're, get, they're being given a jab or job mandate or you know, they're being forced to learn online if they're in um, elementary or secondary school or college. And it's all illegal. It's all illegal. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> given that Pfizer wanted to delay 93 years before coming out with this data, and I've heard they're gonna have to drop the data today, so that should be interesting. But how can they get away with this? Are there any lawsuits that are challenging them? Yes, um, there are a lot of lawsuits. In fact, Children's Health Defense uh, sued the FDA immediately after the uh, the unwarranted approval of Comirnaty. So we're in a lawsuit um, against FDA right now. And there are tons of other lawsuits uh, at Children's Health Defense California chapter. We've sued a lot of the schools in California and won on, um, on different points. Um, at Piedmont Unified School District, Susan, this was uh, this was a crazy one. They were trying to force students down to age five to get the COVID shot. And if they didn't want to get it, then they were going to even force five-year-olds into independent study where a five-year-old who, as we know, doesn't really know how to read yet would have to learn how to read from study packets. <laughs> and um, it just didn't make any sense at all. So we sued them and we won and we got them to back off of their mandate. But uh, it doesn't seem, it doesn't feel any different. I mean, uh, it's, I mean, Biden's extended the emergency, whatever. Uh, some people are dropping some of the COVID restrictions, but are they dropping the passport ideas or why, you know, are, is this stuff being dropped or, or is it, they just kind of hiding over something? Yeah, it's really spotty. You're right. In most places, I'd say like 99% of the mandates are still in place. But, um, you know, as our lawsuits move forward, uh, you know, some schools in California are dropping their mandates. And then really surprisingly, some big companies in Silicon Valley like Google and Amazon, they've just suddenly dropped their vaccine mandate and they're letting employees come back to work without the shots. Well, that's promising. But, yeah. Uh, but, well, uh I just, I mean, it's, and also what I'm noticing, it's, uh, I mean, you know, we're going through challenging times and we need to pull together and uh, appreciate the goodness in each other. And we need to kind of lead with our hearts and love rather than the, uh, than fear and anger. But it seems we're being divided and the people who choose not to get the shots seem to be pariahs and ostracized and screamed at. Right. Right. And, you know, that's by design. And that's the, the social pressure that, you know, previous prior to COVID, we used to put on children. And then, you know, more than 100 years ago, that was the social pressure put on people to get the smallpox injection as well. And just so everybody knows, um, if you read the history of smallpox, it's it's absolutely fascinating. You can read it in a book by Suzanne Humphreys called Dissolving Illusions. And smallpox suddenly went away 
in the early 1900s when only 5% of the world was vaccinated for smallpox. And at about the same time, scarlet fever, which is a virus for which there was never a vaccine, it suddenly went away as well. So like a lot of this pressure that you put on other people to get vaccinated to supposedly like wipe out a disease or, you know, get to herd immunity. It just, it doesn't make any sense. You cannot have herd immunity with a vaccine. Yeah. I've heard that from many scientists that some people say that giving the vaccine will prolong the issue and create certain immunity problems. Correct. Yeah. There's, um, there's a couple big immunity problems that we're looking at, um, as people get re-exposed. Um, one of them is called antibody dependent enhancement where, you know, after you're vaccinated, if you get exposed to a coronavirus, again, um, it could have the opposite effect and it can drive the virus actually into your cells instead of, um, you know, the antibodies actually, you know, neutralizing the antigen. Um, and the second problem is called pathogenic priming, which is a, a fancy word for autoimmune disease. And we know that these, these shots have um, antigens that are similar to some human proteins. And so if you're asking your body to make antibodies to something in the shot, it can make antibodies to anything in the shot, um, including a protein that could cross-react with, um, with a human protein. And so the antibodies, in other words, instead of attacking the organism you're vaccinated for, they can attack self. And I'll tell you a little story right now. Um, my daughter is at college and she's a neuroscience major. She's in a neurology class right now and they're studying um, multiple sclerosis and they have a mice model. Um, and they get these mice. And I asked my daughter, I said, did these mice come with multiple sclerosis? And she said, no. I said, oh, well, how do you, how do you make them have multiple sclerosis? And she told me how it's done. And they first, the seniors do it. She's a sophomore, so she doesn't do it to the mice. The seniors do it. Um, they actually inject the mice with something called, uh, it's either G-O-R or O G. It's called myelin oligodendrite glycoprotein. And then after they inject them with this MOG, they inject them with pertussis vaccine and they develop MS. And so I asked her, I said, well, if you know how to cause MS, why are you studying it for a whole semester in college? Because you know that just by injecting a, a protein that's similar to the myelin sheath and then injecting a mouse with a pertussis vaccine is going to cause MS. The only question is, what's the cross-reactive protein in the human body? And that's the only question you should be asking in your class about the neurology of MS. And she said, she really couldn't answer my questions, unfortunately, but it's interesting. We know how to create MS and autoimmune disease in rats and mice, yet it's such a mystery about what happens in humans. Isn't that odd, Susan? Yeah, I just want to elaborate a little bit on, you know, when you have a foreign protein enter the blood system and happens very often when we've got leaky guts, which we are very good at in the Western world, having leaky guts. But then the protein seen as a foreigner, so the alarms go off and our immune system goes after them and creates antibodies. But through something called molecular mimicry, because these proteins might be similar genetically to uh, body organs, uh, it can attack the body. For example, gluten is similar genetically to the Purkinje, which is the balanced cells in the cerebellum of the brain, uh, similar to thyroid and the islet cells in uh, the pancreas, so uh, can go after these uh, bo- body, uh, you know, the 
the antibodies to gluten can go after these organs. And there's something called gluten ataxia, where people have difficulty walking, but you take away the gluten to get better. I'd also like to elaborate, because my reading was that in 2002 and 2012, they developed vaccine for the coronavirus, and they gave it to the animals, and they all survived well. Then, I think through the antigenic priming, uh, when they're exposed to coronavirus, they died or had severe neurological impairment. I also understand the same thing happened in dengue fever in the Philippines. People were fine when they got the vaccine, but when they uh, came across the dengue fever, they got sick, and I think the whole program was thrown out. Uh, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I actually have a spreadsheet of all the animal studies and the one human study of an RSV vaccine. And upon re-exposure to those viruses, um, all the animals did get very sick. They had um, blood and pus in their lungs and liver failure when they got re-exposed to the virus for which they were vaccinated. And so, um, yeah, it's just we've known for a long time it's a bad idea to do that. In fact, at the very beginning of lockdowns, Peter Hotez, who is a medical doctor, I believe at Baylor, um, cited those medical studies in, in animals and said that he thought that a vaccine for um, COVID was a bad idea because of that. And now we are seems actually seeing that play out. He seems to have changed his tune. Yeah, somebody got to him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it's just this whole thing is it's hard to comprehend. Why are they pushing something? Do they know it's bad? They never did studies on pregnant women. Yeah, they're really trying to force pregnant women to get it. Um, have there been um, problems with um, caring to term for pregnant women that get the shot? Yes, actually, there have been big problems. There have been a, a, there's been a much higher rate of miscarriages. I wish I could remember that increased rate. Do you know what it is by any chance? Nope. Yeah, I just know it, it's really high. Um, I could search our um, publication at Children's Health Defense called The Defender and have a number for you in a, a few minutes here. Oh, don't. It's more important to get your wisdom and heart than the act. <laughs> now, aren't there didn't, aren't insurance companies finding there's an increase of 40 percent deaths? They are. And that 40 percent is actually in the working age group of age 18 to about 60 or 65, I think. Um, so it's an age group where you really shouldn't see those deaths. And apparently, isn't it like a three sigma increase, like three standard deviations above any change that should have been even possible this past year? Which is highly surprising. Now, we can also postulate this could be due to the toxic soup and, the, you know, the glyphosate and the EMF and 5G. We don't know the combination of what's causing what. I kind of look at it as a big toxic soup because... We don't exactly know. But I also came across a study that the reverse RNA or whatever can go into the cell within six hours. Have you heard of this study? No, I didn't. Let's hear about that if you know anything more well, about it. I don't it. have the exact data. I can look it up, but I don't think that's a good use of my time. But it came out in the couple the last couple of days, and Peter McCullough is talking about it, that the that what the stuff in the injections within six hours can go into the cell and affect things adversely there. I don't know any more about it, but I've oh heard, gosh. I mean, I, I even Dan Bonagino, who is not a scientist, was talking about it on his podcast. So, wow. And I do know that, um, people have had the injections. It, um, the, the injections are preventing our um, DNA from repairing itself. So, um, that's 
theorized to be the reason behind the increase in cancer rates in people who got the shots. And again, from the DOD data found by Tom Rents, um, the cancer rate increased by 300%. And I actually did just pull up the miscarriage increase, and that's also a 300% increase in miscarriages in 2021. Again, just just some, it's just out of the realm of possibility, and there's no other cause that could have led to that. Well, there could be. 5G, I, un- I heard in Texas they're having really, uh, you know, some disaster statistics when the 5G was turned on, and they're speculating this, you know, obviously there could be multi-contributions to this. Um, so anyway, I don't want to distract myself by looking for this study. So why are they doing this? I mean, do, do they really believe this is going to help us? I don't know. As Reiner Freelmick says, uh, he's an attorney who um, had a big case against Volkswagen because they cheated on their emission standards. Actually, I have an Audi and <laughs> actually got an $8,000 check thanks to Reiner Freelmick. He's very a mainstream lawyer, in other words. Um, but what he says is you have to think like a criminal. And, you know, this is not our crime, but we have to think like a criminal. And if you're at the World Economic Forum, if this is if this is your crime at the World Economic Forum and you want everybody on these digital IDs with, you know, digital passports and you want to reset the whole global economy, it's a pretty good way to do it. I mean, you got to hand it to them on strategy. Hmm. Wow, I, I can't find that one article, but it's been mentioned a couple of times in various places. This this is just kind of crazy, uh, and and how I, I I I just don't understand it. How they could force this on people? It just that it doesn't sound like the data is there. It sounds like uh, COVID uh, could have been treated. Uh, you know, eighty percent of the deaths could have been. Uh, avoided. It's just not making sense to me. No, it doesn't make sense at all unless, you know, the facts all fit a different narrative, which is to get us on these digital IDs. And then everything starts to make sense to me. Well, at least. I, I understand that WHO is just awarded to a German company to make digital IDs or passports for the whole world. So it's, it sounds like uh, some of the countries are pursuing the digital IDs, even though COVID might be subsiding. That's right. Yeah. So a lot of the countries that we've heard have have stopped pursuing like a, a VAX passport. They're going straight to the digital ID um, and they're starting to push that. So we'll see how that rolls out as time goes on. Yeah. And is it WHO at this moment while we're all distracted by what's going on in Ukraine trying to pass something that they can control all the health systems in the world and that we have to march to their tune? Yeah, I heard that rumor, but I don't have the detail on that. Okay. Well, you've got several areas of expertise. What are some of your other areas of expertise since we have you here? Uh, What else can you share with us? Well, I like to explain to people, you know, what, what the realm of vaccine injury really is so that people understand that a lot more people are vaccine injured than we really think. And, you know, I explained how we create autoimmune disease in mice. Um, the other thing that we create in lab mice and lab rats is allergies and asthma. And we do that by injecting them again with a tetanus or pertussis vaccine or just a plain aluminum shot 
and we make them um, eat or breathe the thing we want them to be allergic to, and voila, we create allergic and asthmatic mice and rats to study in the lab. And so people just really need to understand that, you know, the list of like 200 autoimmune disease, allergies and asthma, that's all vaccine injury. And so I, I just want people to know that if you're already vaccine injured because you have an autoimmune disease or you have allergies or asthma, then your risk of getting another autoimmune disease or another allergy or having a different kind of adverse event after every vaccine you get is much higher than someone else because you're already injured by the product. So well, I, I really like want people to understand that. I would like to present a balanced view. Uh, I believe that is a possibly a contribution. Autoimmune diseases, they kind of, uh, according to some people, start in the gut. And as I was saying, when a protein ex uh, goes into the blood system where it's not supposed to be there, we mount up our immune system, we attack it, we get antibodies that get confused and attack parts of the body through molecular mimicry, and voila, we've got autoimmune diseases. My belief is that from a leaky gut and all the toxins and it's multifactorial, it's not only uh, what we're claiming here, but it's also, you know, glyphosate, EMF, 5G. It's a big toxic soup. Uh, autoimmune diseases can come from other toxic assaults. So, but I, I'm totally open to the idea that vaccines contribute. And given what I'm hearing about the effects of this vaccine, <clears throat> I mean, one study uh, said that, you know, these spikes are supposed to go away, but however, um, they were found to go to the uterus in women. So, right. Yeah. There've been really bad menstrual issues in young women and even, um, women who are in menopause are starting to get their period again. It's just, it's absolutely crazy. And by the way, I do agree with you. I think leaky gut does have a lot to do with it because there are foreign proteins floating around in people's bloodstreams that shouldn't be there. And then when you get vaccinated, you know, that's how does your vax, <laughs> how does your body know? How does your immune system know what you just asked it to make antibodies to? It sees something foreign and you've got the aluminum in there. It's going to make an antibody to it. Yeah, I agree. Because, I mean, you know, I wrote an article on autism and I haven't come to the conclusion that uh, vaccines cause autism, but it might be what pushes somebody over the hill because there's so many toxic assaults on our kids, including what they put in our food, the air we breathe, uh, mold, uh, glyphosate, Roundup, pesticides, herbicides, 5G and EMF are going to be big ones. So it's a big toxic soup. And this is a part of the picture. We have only three minutes left. So I want you to share your areas of expertise and what you can sh share I mean, one person I'm impressed with was <clears throat> Thomas Renz, who's really trying to get to the bottom of all this through the legal roots, but we haven't heard of much from him. Also, Fulmick and his Nuremberg trials, I haven't heard what he's doing, although I understand he's doing stuff. So uh, any final comments, uh, passions, anything you'd like to communicate, other areas of your expertise or how to get a hold of you? Uh, yeah, I would say that if you want to know more about these topics, I would read The Defender, which is the publication at childrenshealthdefense.org. All the articles are thoroughly fact-checked by a team of doctors and lawyers and scientists. I've written articles for The Defender, and they have to go through probably like six to eight different revisions before they're allowed to be published. They're all sourced to uh, official sources like the CDC and the WHO. And so you can feel really confident passing along those articles to other people. And it's very hard to find a problem in those articles because of the fact-checking pro process that we have. 
And if you live in California and you want to support the California chapter and the lawsuits that um, the California chapter is doing in California, go to ca.childrenshealthdefense.org and you can support us there. And we've got a lot of great resources there too. We've got a whole page called resources, in fact, where um, there are letters for schools, there's letters for your employer. And we're starting a new process where people are filing universal complaint procedures against their school for um, doing things like making their unvaccinated child or unmasked child sit outside in the rain or take a test in the cold. You can actually, um, you can actually force the school to stop doing that with a UCP complaint. Um, and also we're teaching people how to make tort claims against their schools as well. We have trainings every other Monday. So if you're interested in that in California, go to ca.childrenshealthdefense.org and we're more than happy to help you. You know, given that COVID seems to be dying down and people are distracted by other current events, why is California trying to pass a law to mandate vaccines on every single person that's working in the state or contractors and on kids and God knows what else they're up to? Why are they doing this? Yeah, there, there are five really scary bills around vaccines in the legislature right now. And it, it is scary. And that is a big question. Why are they doing this right now? Why? Um, we have to fight really hard to make sure these bills do not get passed. Because you're right, Susan, every working adult in California is going to be required to get a COVID shot. And, and not just one or two or three. I mean, we're talking about a shot every six to 12 months if this bill passes. And it's called, it's either AB 1993 or SB 1993. There's so many bills right now, it's hard to keep all the numbers straight. But um, there's other bills trying to give children um, as young as 12 the ability to make decisions on the COVID vaccine and other medical treatments. Um, it's And there's another bill that, you know, school testing has to keep going. It's just, it's just mind boggling. It's dying out. Well, unfortunately I'm interrupting because we're running out of time, but this certainly raises a lot of questions in my mind because this just doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense for a virus that, uh, it's just not making sense. Why are they coming down hard on us when it's the, the danger seems to have passed? Anyway, I want to thank you, Alex. I ask people to um, do your own research, consult with your physician, uh, share information, uh, take the steps you feel are necessary for keeping well, and above all, be well. We got the power to change the world. Thank you for listening. Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Here's to better health for you this week.